I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Who has killed more FBI agents than anyone else in history? Don't look it up yet. Chris says the CI quit, Chris. Chris says the CIA, see, that's inappropriate. We don't talk about that on this show. 
Which person, before you look it up, I know you're Googling it already, off the top of your head, who has killed more people, more FBI agents than anyone else in history? His name was Lester Joseph Gillis, also known as George Nelson, also known as Babyface Nelson. Just in case you're curious, should they ever bring the man back from the dead? If you saw him, he stood a robust five foot four. And you can look up his pictures. They're out there. He was not called Babyface for just no reason. We'll get to that in a moment. But. Not really fond of that name. Would murder you in a heartbeat for calling him that name. And criminals are a funny thing. You know, we've done crime shows before, cartel shows, mafia shows. It always will because I'm a dude and I love that stuff. It's awesome. But one thing you really learn, because I know you're going to find this shocking I read a lot of books written by these guys, cons, ex-cons, mafia guys. I watch documentaries with them being interviewed, things like that. And they will tell you, and you really can see it once you watch for a while, they're not all the same. We lump them all in together, you know, bad guys. You have good guys, you have bad guys. Oh, he's in the mob. In the mob can mean so many different things. There were several mafia guys throughout history who really didn't like violence, didn't really do it. Now, they may have ordered a lot of other people to do it, but it's not really their thing. They liked making money. Some of them even had moral holdbacks from it. In the mob. What does in the mob mean? Does that mean you have to be made? Could you just be some guy, an associate of the mob? Are you in the mob if the mob is running some drugs out the back of your mechanic shop and they say they'll murder you if you don't let them? Does that make you in the mob? Are you a mob associate? They pay you for it, but your choices are you can take some money for this or we're going to cut your head off. That guy gets arrested. That guy's the mob. See what I mean? They can run the gamut. And this goes all across crimes, all over the place. There are criminals out there, many of them, most of them, who don't want to take human life. There are plenty of criminals out there who will but really don't want to, either because they think it'll bring down too much heat or or whatnot. And then there are, there's the occasional dude who is just an absolute raging psychopath. Not only will he, he appears to take some borderline perverse enjoyment in it. Reminds me of another guy, another guy who was closely associated with the mob. What was it? Mad Mad Sam DeStefano, I believe his name was. I think I have that right. Look that up. Make sure I have that right. 
Even the mob guys were all, this dude is a psychopath. Stay away from him. Babyface Nelson was an unhinged lunatic, and everybody knew it. Let's go back to the very, very beginning, though. He grew up in Chicago. He grew up very, very, very poor in Chicago. And I'm always fascinated, as you know, about the why. Why are are things this way? How did things turn out that way? And yes, he grew up very poor. And like most poor people, he grew up in a rough neighborhood. Poor and, you know, white picket fences and friendly neighbors do not often go hand in hand. Poor neighborhoods end up with desperate people. Desperate people do desperate things. Poverty brings out oftentimes the worst in us. And he grows up as a very, very, very short young man with, again, a baby face. You think he had a baby face when he was older? He really had one when he was younger. How do you think it is for a short baby-faced kid in a rough neighborhood run by gangs? It's rough. Uh, unless you're baby-faced Nelson and everybody knows you're, you'll kill somebody in the drop of a hat. You know the first time baby-faced Nelson shot someone? He was 12. What were you doing at 12? This was called an accident. There are people who dispute this to this day. And some of the details I'm going to give you today, I've expressed this frustration before. Some of the details I'm going to give you today differ from what I read. He shoots this kid at 12. The first thing I read on this said he was sent to juvenile detention for two years for that. Then I read something. The next thing I read said he was sent to one year, sent for one year. Well, which is it? How hard can that be to verify? You see what I mean? So just know that some of these details may be off. Long story short, I do think he was sent to juvenile detention for a year because the next year at 13, he was busted for stealing a car at 13. But you should know this about his time in juvenile detention. And this is so often the case. Anybody who's worked in the criminal justice system to this day will tell you it's the case. The bad kids get so much worse in juvie. Because again, and and sometimes the system sucks. Sometimes the people who work there suck. Sometimes there's just not a great solution to the problem. Oftentimes you will throw somebody who's on the cusp of maybe being a criminal could go the other way. And now you've dormed him around some people who are already career criminals, period. And it's over for the guy who was on the cusp at that point in time. We like to think they get in there and they'll be so scared out of their minds that they will change their ways. That's not how it works. People, all of us, we adjust to the environment around us, culture, is a powerful thing. I've never done one on Bonnie and Clyde. I'll do one one of these days because I find them to be fascinating. 
You know that Clyde was not really a bank robber like so many of these other guys of that era. He was a stick-up guy. He held up gas stations and stuff. Clyde, more than anything else, was just a murderer. Clyde wanted to murder people. And you know why Clyde wanted to murder people? Because at the age of 19, as a short, skinny kid, they sent him to this uh, prison called Eastham. And he was... Treated like a human toilet there by the fellow prisoners. Supposedly, when he came out of there, I believe it was two years later, he just wanted to kill everybody. These places affect people, and that's not an anti-prison thing. It just is. Hang on. to the Jesse Kelly show. I love having a car shield auto protection plan. Well, it gives me peace of mind. And look, having an auto protection plan is one of those things. You don't generally get them until you get caught without them one time and you get financially trashed because it happened to me since that moment. I have had an auto protection plan and will always have one the rest of my life. Car Shield is America's number one auto protection plan company because they give people flexibility. I can choose from a variety of plans. I can choose my own mechanic, my own dealership where I want the work done. You never see that. All these guys make you to go to this place or make you go to that place, not Car Shield. Car Shield even gives me flexible payments. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Don't forget, use the code JESSE. When you do that, that gets you 10% off. And remember, a deductible may apply. Babyface Nelson is now a full-blown gang member. Not just a member, remember. This is the short guy with the baby face. He's a gang leader. We see this often. I see it often. When I look at gangs and mob guys and things like that, oftentimes the most violent guy is the leader. He is. And I don't mean just small time stuff. They would do car theft, obviously. They would do home invasions. Listen to how crazy these guys were. They'd go to the rich part of town and do home invasions. You hardly ever see that kind of crime in the rich part of town. Why? Because the rich people pay a lot in taxes and therefore usually get better police protection than anybody else. The rich people donate money to politicians. They have wealthy, powerful friends. I know a guy who knows a guy. 
Have you ever been to a party in town with Houston's police chief? I have, because I happen to know somebody who knows him. It helps. It helps a lot. Criminals know you venture into those neighborhoods. That's a one-way ticket to prison. Babyface Nelson didn't care. They would kick in the door while people were sitting down having family dinner and tie everybody up and take all their money. I'm, I'm talking crazy stuff like that. He mugged the mayor's wife on the sidewalk. And that's actually how he got his name. He mugs the mayor's wife without a mask on. And she ends up telling the newspapers he had such a baby face. That's how he got the nickname. Yeah, exactly. The criminal world is a small world. And... It's not talked about that much because we focus on the high points, but we don't talk about the actual mafia ties to those uh, Depression-era bank robbers. Well, here's the thing. Even if you're babyface Nelson, you're going to come across organized crime in a place like Chicago because they run the crime there, period. You don't really get to do it there unless you're doing it with their permission, either Capone or the Irish, who I believe ran the north side of the city. I may have that wrong. So Capone obviously hears that there's this young psychopath who's willing to murder people. If you're Al Capone, that can be really, really handy. So he brings in babyface Nelson as kind of a trigger man, leg breaker during what they called the labor wars. And let's pause on that for a brief moment. There is so much history, more history than I could ever lay out for you between unions and organized crime, unions and the mob. And the reason I, the reason this bothers me is whenever it's presented, because you go watch mafia movies, you don't go watch union movies, the mob guys are the stars, right? That's what you're there to see. It's always presented as the mob muscling its way into the union, the mob killing union guys, the mob doing this, the mob doing that. And that 100% happened. I'm not dismissing that. However, I don't know how this gets covered up. Unions have been violent for a long time. Union guys had their own bodyguards. Union guys blew up their own cars. Union guys had their own hitmen. Lots of them. These wars were, there was so much, I mean, yes, there were rivalries and sometimes they got together and said, it's just way more complicated than the innocent, the innocent union guy with just a lunch pail in his hand, getting preyed upon by the evil mobster. All oh, these union bosses were heavy, heavy, heavy hitters, Jack. Prior to Jimmy Hoffa getting buried somewhere, prior to Jimmy Hoffa getting buried somewhere, he'd famously tell the most powerful mobsters in the country to go screw themselves. Granted, that's part of the reason he's buried somewhere, but why do you think you feel strong enough to say that? You've got your own muscle around you. So somebody like Babyface Nelson is useful in these times. And he's still well-known by law enforcement. 
gets arrested at one point. His wife sneaks him a pistol, holds the guards, holds it to the guard's head and escapes custody and begins this robbing of banks. I mean, he'd been doing some of that, but really begins the bank robbing depression era stuff, just like John Dillinger. Everybody's heard of John Dillinger. Babyface Nelson had heard of John Dillinger. John Dillinger was famous already at this point. Famous. Famously out there robbing banks. Famously, he was public enemy number one. That was a new thing. We all know about the public enemies list now. Well, it had just started at this time. In fact, if memory serves me, I believe John Dillinger was the first public enemy number one. Babyface Nelson hated that public enemies list. Not because he was on it, but because he wasn't number one. He was furious his whole life that John Dillinger was number one. Now, Dillinger has his own gang at this point. And Dillinger's gang, this is really where he made his uh, where he, his claim to fame. Believe me, they weren't these, you know, complete nonviolent saints. But Dillinger's gang really was, they were cool customers. These career criminals. He had a guy named Homer Van Meter who did his driving. The dude was cool as a cucumber. He would wait in the car. Everybody had their assigned roles. Dillinger would famously, and he got really famous for this, he'd famously chat up the female bank customers while they were robbing the bank. He'd have these women giggling and such while he's while he's robbing the bank. I mean, the dude must have just dripped charm. But he would put he would do that on purpose though, too. Screaming women put people on edge. Calm, giggling, everybody's at ease. No one needs to try anything. It, it makes it safer for everyone. And Dillinger's doing things like daring police escapes. He's carving out wooden guns and and breaking out of prison. It, it just he's just doing wild stuff like that. He's he's the dashing criminal. Every other criminal wants to be. He's the one people really enjoy reading stories about. He's the one. The dudes read the newspapers. You know, you've done it. I've done it. You get that half smirk on your face thinking, man, that'd be kind of cool, right? That's that's the kind of bank robber I'd be. Your wife reads the newspaper. She thinks it might be fun to go out for a drink with John Dillinger. She's never going to admit that, but... You know what I mean? Everyone wants to walk on the wild side every now and then. Babyface Nelson is not that, and he does not have that reputation. And he hates that too, but he can't seem to change it. His reputation is psychopathic killer. They're both out robbing banks. Dillinger, I'm not going to go into the whole story today, but Dillinger's gang goes down. They all get arrested. Now Dillinger's out. And Dillinger needs a gang. Dillinger finds a gang. And it's Babyface Nelson's gang. Uh, Truth be told, Babyface Nelson led, really was considered the leader internally of the Dillinger gang. After Dillinger's original gang got busted, just everyone continued to call it the Dillinger gang because he was the one everybody loved. And Babyface hated that too. Hang on.
you're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Dillinger now has to deal with the fact that he doesn't have sober professionals working with him. He has Babyface Nelson working with him. Babyface was the lobby man is what they called it in bank robbing days. Maybe they still do. I don't know. I haven't robbed a bank in quite some time, Chris. But he's called a lobby man. These bank robbers are not idiots, especially the high level ones. They scout things out. They plan ahead. Response times. They, they're very, the, the great ones, Willie Sutton is the most famous one, but the great ones, man, they were good. They were really, really good. You go through their books and things they talked about. These guys are really good. And then they go to prison for short stints and compare notes with other bank robbers. Well, what did you do here? All oh, this works there. All oh, this works well here. And everyone has roles. You have drivers and such. And one of the guys you have when robbing a bank is a lobby man. The lobby man's job is to keep all the customers and tellers under control. That's the lobby man's job. Someone will be working on the safe. Someone will be talking about this. Someone will be doing that. Lobby man's job is you've seen him in the movies before. Get your head down. Let me see your hands. That kind of thing. Of course, Babyface Nelson couldn't even do this in a calm reasonable manner. He would routinely scream at people. He routinely get violent. And he simply loved to kill people and he hated cops. So they head to a bank in South Dakota to rob it. They head up there, rob this bank. While they're robbing the bank, a motorcycle cop, a police officer, pulls up out in front of the bank. Babyface Nelson, without hesitation, doesn't just shoot him, doesn't ignore him, doesn't detain him. Babyface Nelson starts laughing hysterically, jumps up on top of the bank counter and mows him down with a Thompson submachine gun all while laughing. Thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And at this point, Dillinger's all, oh gosh, what have I done? Now they need to lay low for a while. You, when you mow down a cop, then as in now, they are going to come for you. 
And so these guys are out there escaping. They're out there hiding. And they find some remote resort in Wisconsin, Little Bohemia. They're hanging out. This is still Babyface, Dillinger, a couple others. Hanging out, playing poker in the resort, obviously using fake names. But the guy who runs the place thinks he recognizes them and eventually sees a gun on one of them. Huge red flag for him. He makes a phone call, and the head of the FBI task force, his name was Melvin Purvis. It was his job to hunt these guys down. The Dillinger gang, the Dillinger gang and the hunt for the Dillinger gang, you should know. We need to take a step back here for a moment. This was the national news story. In a country that was ravaged by the Great Depression at the time, People were dying for, you know, entertainment. Give me anything. Give me something. The newest caper from John Dillinger, the newest law enforcement update in the hunt to John, hunt to find John Dillinger. People were hungry for this. It was the OJ trial. You remember the OJ trial? Chris is probably too young, but the nation hung on the OJ trial. I remember I was freshman. In high school, maybe? I think I might have been a freshman in high school when the verdict came out. They stopped every class in the school and they played the verdict live on the television sets in the classroom. That is enormous. You think you know what big trials are? Unless you remember the OJ trial, you have no idea. And not only that, there was a huge reaction. So many of us were all, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then, of course, there were a bunch of people in school like, woohoo, he got off. The juice is loose. That was the Dillinger thing. Now, Melvin Purvis gets a phone call. He's been hunting Dillinger. He's been embarrassed time and again by Dillinger because Dillinger is better than the FBI at this point. And that's not trying to be mean to the FBI, which you know I pretty much can't stand the FBI, so I'm more than happy to be mean to them. But they were, at this point, one, Dillinger was very experienced at what he was doing. He had advanced weaponry. He knew what he was doing. His gang knew what they were doing. The FBI was not then how you think of it today. You think of the FBI as this too-powerful juggernaut with 8 million different divisions, organized crime and narcotics, you know about you probably know about the FBI HRT, the hostage rescue team. You would think of it like their SWAT. Just know this. If you're in a building being held hostage and I had to choose between Navy SEAL Team 6, Delta Force, or the FBI HRT, I'm not so sure I wouldn't pick the HRT. That's how good those guys are in urban warfare hostage situations. They often work together with those other advanced guys groups and train together. The FBI today can do just about anything. The FBI back then is a still brand new organization And it's a bunch of dorks. I'm not saying that to be mean. They don't have career cops on there, tough guys on there. It's a bunch of lawyers and accountants. That's what they were by trade. Hoover wanted clean-cut, college-educated guys. 
And so much of crime, I mean, to this day, so much of crime is simply follow the money to try to get this and follow the money to try to get that. And that was really what the FBI did. They were a bunch of paper pushers. Well, now you're assigned this monumental task, monumental task of trying to find this violent street gang. You've been showed up time and again. Finally, ring, ring. Melvin Purvis gets a phone call. We have John Dillinger. I have him at this resort. Purvis freaks out, mobilizes the troops, hops on a private plane and flies out there. They hop in some cars and drive out to this remote resort. But here's the problem. He's got a bunch of kids with him. Not a bunch of killers with him. He's got a bunch of goobers with him. And Dillinger's gang is not a bunch of goobers. And Babyface Nelson, as much of a psychopath as he is, is not a man unaccustomed to combat. Why do you think he was a leader all the time? For all his faults, the guy was fearless under fire. Fearless under fire. Had no fear at all. We'll get to his incredible ending here shortly. It is incredible. Something out of the movies. But... The FBI, they pull up and they have some local cops there. But, I mean, these these guys are not big city cops either, local cops out there. And it's nighttime and it's sleeting and it's Wisconsin. And they don't have a great plan for getting them out. They surround as much of the building as they can, but they just don't have a great plan for getting them out. So they surround the place, and remember, it's dark, and they see three men walk out of the resort and get in the car, fire up the car, and start to drive out of the resort. The FBI agents, obviously who have been embarrassed time and again by this point in time by this gang, think, oh no, John Dillinger's getting away. We can't allow this to happen again. That's how people lose jobs. The car is driving outside of the resort. The FBI agent starts screaming, stop, freeze, stop the car. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Natural medicines and holistic healing approaches are known to help alleviate issues like anxiety, headaches, joint pain, and more. That's why I choose CBD. I don't like putting man-made chemicals in my body. I don't. I prefer natural solutions. I just, I've always been that way. And I highly recommend you do the same. But here's the thing with CBD. Now that this information is getting out there, now that so many people are choosing CBD, these little shops are popping up all over the place, CBD here, CBD there. You don't know if they've tested those. You don't know how reputable that company is. That's why I only get it from Doctors Trusted CBD. Everything's tested. Go to DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. 
That's DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE for free shipping and 10% off. Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly Show. FBI agents see a car. It's dark. They don't know what they're doing. They're yelling, stop. The car doesn't stop. The car doesn't freeze. They open fire on the men inside of the car, shooting them. It turns out the men inside the car were three civilians who had just been relaxing at the resort, and they didn't stop and didn't freeze because they were simply listening to the radio too loud. Yeah, not a great moment. On top of that moment, Babyface Nelson and John Dillinger and the crew, they obviously hear the shooting outside. These guys know it is obviously in some way related to them. And surprise, surprise, Baby Nelson very shortly has a machine gun stuck out the window spraying down police officers and vehicles. Dillinger and his guys take off one direction. Babyface takes off a different direction. At one point, Babyface is in a running vehicle. Cops pull up behind him, but they don't get out. They aren't pointing their guns at him, and there's room for him to leave. He can just drive forward and drive away. Instead, because he's Babyface Nelson, he chooses to just throw it in park and get out. Tommy Gunn, leveled at the cops, exactly like you have pictured in your mind, starts mowing down police officers, FBI agents. They're now running for their lives, not babyface, the cops scrambling out of the vehicle as they're getting shot to pieces while babyface stands there with a smile on his face, mowing everybody down. The guy was an absolute lunatic. They escape from this resort. The FBI is humiliated at this point in time. Melvin Purvis was basically fired. He was kept on, but he was no longer the head of the task force. Dillinger and Babyface get back together and Dillinger realizes, okay, this is too much. My old crew is gone. You can't do this forever. Law enforcement is clearly closing in. Let's do one final job. He and Babyface agree they're going to do one final job in South Bend, Louisiana, or South Bend, Indiana. They go show up at the job. He leaves Babyface again as the kind of lookout lobby man. And this is still America. Americans have guns. A jeweler up the road sees what's happening and decides he's going to play some hero ball and get involved. So while Dillinger is inside, finding out the payroll they had expected to rob was not there, so they had basically no money, this jeweler up the road 
takes a couple shots at them. Babyface, not the type to let something like that go, turns and starts just lobbing bullets up the street at this guy. A high school wrestler, a kid, the balls on this kid, decides while Nelson is shooting his machine gun that he's going to run up behind him and jump on his back. He does. Nelson, I can't believe this kid didn't die. Nelson managed to manages to, after a little struggle, shrug the kid off, and by the grace of God, for whatever reason, does not turn and just mow the kid down as he's laying there. He just leaves him alone and goes back to shooting at the jeweler. They take off. It was a disaster. They separate. Three weeks later, John Dillinger's dead. Again, we're not going over the Dillinger story today. Sold out by someone he knew, found outside of a movie theater, shot down, shot down dead. Nelson flees to California, then back to Wisconsin. And Nelson at this point is with his wife, and he's with a man named John Paul Chase. The Federal Bureau of Investigation now is beyond embarrassed about all of this. And they start rounding up anybody who had ever worked with Babyface Nelson, who was now finally number one on that public enemies list. And they want to know, what do you know? What do you know? Who will sell him out for what? John Paul Chase, the guy who was with Nelson, his girlfriend sells out the gang. Tells him, hey, I know they're heading to this place in Wisconsin. You can go get him. Now picture this scene. Babyface Nelson in Wisconsin. FBI all over Wisconsin looking for him. Couple FBI agents out at this house along the road. Car pulls up. Nice car. Big car. Car pulls up. Window rolls down. Even though they weren't electric back then, that's my electric window sound. Window rolls down. Guy inside asks for directions. Window rolls back up. FBI agent looks at his partner and says, that was him. Hang on. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 
baby face rolls the window back up, drives away. The FBI agent turns to his buddy and says, um, that was him. At the same time, Babyface Nelson, a psycho but no idiot, turns to his wife in the car and says, um, that was an FBI agent. And now the chase is on. Well, hang on there. Chase. You see, when I say the chase is on, when I'm talking about FBI agents, bank robbers, cops and robbers, and I say things like the chase is on, doesn't that lead you to, you know, you picture certain things in your head, right? The chase is on. Oh, man. I, I bet I could picture a big high-speed chase on the highway. The cops are chasing down the criminals. You're forgetting one thing. This is Babyface Nelson. Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. When I say the chase is on, understand this. Babyface gets back out on the highway, heading towards Chicago. He's going to go meet with some gangsters there, figure out where to lay low. The cops pass him the other direction on the highway, and Babyface sees them. Babyface busts the U-turn and starts chasing after the cops. The cops bust a U-turn, too, try to chase him. He continues busting U-turns, trying to ride down the police officers. He catches one because his car is more powerful than their car and opens fire on a car full of FBI agents. The dude is just an absolute lunatic. The car slammed, the cop car slams on the brakes like, okay, I'm out on that. They had returned fire, and they had ended up hitting Babyface's car badly enough that it was hurting. Well, there's still two more FBI agents in hot pursuit of Babyface, who has his wife and John Paul Chase still in the car. Babyface knows his car's toast, cruises up the highway as fast as he can, hooks a left onto a road, and does not see how far he can go. He decides, let's kill some more FBI agents. He pulls the car off to the side of the road, tells his wife, get out and get in the ditch. The cops, the FBI agents, pull around, and there's Babyface 
Thompson submachine gun ready to roll and he opens fire. The FBI agents, to their credit, return fire and immediately hit him. One of the first shots went through his liver and his pancreas. Babyface simply grabs his stomach and then throws down his weapon only to pick up a bigger one and continues shooting. And the cops are continuing shooting. Babyface is now charging at the police officers, having been shot to pieces. At another point, they shot him with a shotgun in his legs. He fell down and just stood right back up and kept running at them. Again, I cannot seem to get an accurate count. Some things said, I heard everything from nine to 18 bullet wounds in Babyface Nelson. And he killed both of those FBI agents that day. Not only did he kill them with possibly 18 bullet wounds in him, including fatal ones, he went and got his wife, went and got the car that was broken down, went and got John Paul Chase, drove over to the FBI agent's vehicle and unloaded all their things into that car and then tells John Paul Chase, you need to drive. I can't drive. I'm going to die. And lays down in the back. They drive him down to Chicago to a hideout where he lays down full of bullet holes, tells his wife, I'm done for, and dies in that bed. Not a historically consequential feature or figure by any stretch of the imagination, but still. Cool, right? Very cool story. I mean, horrible. Very horrible. But cool story. People, I'll tell you what fascinates me about so many of these doomsdayer stories. Because that's, I mean, look, that's a cool story. You're going to remember that story. I don't expect you to admit that you think it's cool. It's one of those ones that's so dark. And let's be honest. FBI agents, patriots, law enforcement guys died. It's not as if that's something to celebrate just because it's a long time ago. But it's a fascinating story because I always think it's weird with guys like that, even psychopaths. Can't you see how this ends? Was there ever a doubt? If you'd never heard the name Babyface Nelson, and maybe you hadn't before I opened up the show today, was there ever a doubt how this ends? At some point in your life of crime, whether it be a juvie or, or adulthood or whatever it may be, you're by yourself on a back porch somewhere with a with a glass of whiskey in your hand, smoking cigarettes, because that's just what I assume everybody did back at that era. Does it ever go into your mind, man, I have got to change something or I'm going to die. You know how it ends. Everybody knew how that story ended. Even those who had never heard him before. When I started out talking about this psychopath and the, and the killings and the stealings and the, and the holdups and the mugging, every single person knew that guy was going to die either in prison or in a gangland shootout. Everybody knew that. So why can't you change directions 
from the inevitability of it. Why not change? I'll never get it. And I have a thousand stories I want to talk about today, but this hit me when I saw this headline yesterday. AT&T reportedly looking to sell CNN after the hit they've taken from hating Trump. I have found this to be fascinating over the last four years, and I know you hate CNN, and that's fine. I actually have some friends over at CNN, and I think CNN has some talented people. Clearly, they've lost their minds with the direction of the channel. So there's no, I'm not, I would never defend CNN, but I try to watch it. Well, I don't watch the channel, but I've been watching what's happening with places like CNN over the last four years with fascination because here's what I've seen. You go all in on your anti-Trump, Trump Trump is the Antichrist, Trump, 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 24 hours a day, Trump. Russian agent, the world is ending, Trump sucks, Trump sucks, Trump sucks. And the reason I was always fascinated by it was I'm assuming, and this is probably where I went wrong, that smart people who have a vision run CNN. I mean, it's a huge company, right? Trump's going to be gone one day. Four years, eight years, whatever it is. And if you've gone all in like CNN did, if you've only become, I mean, who would watch CNN at this point in time? Unless you're stuck in the airport or an absolute unhinged leftist, nobody is watching it. And the ratings say that. How can you not see that you have to be more than Trump or your network is toast? How can that not occur to more than just CNN, to so many of these publications? You have to be more than Trump. Because there are simply too many eyeballs out there. I'm not shocked that CNN is in the toilet. Their advertising revenue has to be basically zero for a major network like that with those kind of ratings. You just simply can't sell advertising at any kind of a decent rate. But what I find fascinating is how do you not see that coming? Even if you're the owner of CNN and you literally hate Trump, like you genuinely do. It's a genuine thing. You think Trump is the Antichrist. How can you not look far enough ahead and think, okay, well, we have to we have to balance it out a little. Otherwise, when he's gone, we're left with nothing. How can you not see the future and change direction? And like I often do, I started asking myself this question. All right, well, Babyface couldn't change direction or didn't want to. CNN didn't either. Gosh, am I doing something like that? Hang on. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it. 
for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.